ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد تدين We're on the statement of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi Rahimahullah Ta'ala Where he said Wal-Imanu Huwa al-Iqraru bil-Lisan Wal-Tasdiqu bil-Janan Wa jami'u ma sahha an Rasulillah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Mina shari'i wal-bayan Kulluhu haq والإيمان واحد وأهله في أصله سواء والتفاضل بينهم بالخشية والتقى ومخالفة الهوى وملازمة الأولى This section now as we said is talking about the topic of Iman And we already briefly touched upon this topic And we spoke about some of the principles regarding Iman We spoke about how actions are a part of Iman. We spoke about how Iman increases and decreases. And how the people are all upon different levels of Iman. (coughs) Here Al-Imam Al-Tahawi mentions that Iman it is acknowledgement, statement of the tongue and belief in the heart. And everything that has been authenticated from the Prophet ﷺ in the legislation, then all of that is truth and iman is one. And the people in its basis are equal, but then the difference occurs in their level of fear and their level of piety and how much they can oppose the desires and stick to that which is better. So this is all around the topic of Iman. We mentioned before and we spoke about the evidences highlighting that actions are a part of Iman. Your prayer is a part of Iman. Your other acts of worship are a part of your Iman. Iman is not only belief and statements of the tongue, it is also actions of the limbs. Uh, we spoke about the first principle then, and that was that actions are a part of Iman, and the evidences, a rough example, many examples of evidences, you can remember that actions are a part of Iman. So that was one example, that <coughs> Iman is بَضْعٌ وَسِتُّونَ أَوْ بَضْعٌ وَسَبْعُونَ شُعْبَةً That Iman is 60-odd or 70-odd levels. أَعْلَاهَ قَوْلُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ The highest of those levels of Iman is the statement of Tawheed, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَدْنَاهَا إِمَاطَةُ الْأَذَى عَنِ الطَّرِيقِ And the lowest level of that Iman is removing some harm out of the pathway. When you remove some harm out of the pathway, that is a physical action you do. 
And this hadith is telling us that physical action of yours is considered to be part of Iman. And then it also mentions in that same hadith, وَالْحَيَاءُ شُعْبَةٌ مِّنَ الْإِيمَانِ And shyness is a branch or a level of Iman also, and that is an action of the heart. So that was one example highlighting how your actions are a part of your Iman. There was another example regarding the prayer, and that was... وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِعَ إِمَانَكُمْ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not allow your iman to go to waste. What iman is being spoken of? That is when the Muslims were praying towards Jerusalem initially. That used to be the direction of the Qibla. Then afterwards the direction was changed so that the Muslims no longer face towards Jerusalem in the prayer but they face towards the Kaaba. In Mecca, <coughs> so then some of the companions, they came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and they asked him about others who had died before the new revelation came. So all of their lives, they had only ever prayed towards Jerusalem, Bayt al-Maqdis. They had never prayed towards the Kaaba. So they asked the Prophet sallallahu what's going to happen to their prayers and their reward? Will it still hold? Will it still count or not? So then the ayah was revealed that Allah will not put their iman to waste. It will not be lost. What iman was being referred to? Their salah. Their prayers. So therefore your prayer, when you pray, that is a part of iman. Your prayer is a part of iman. Your acts of worship are a part of iman. Then the second thing we talked about was how Iman increases and decreases. And this was the homework that was still set again regarding finding evidences that Iman increases and Iman decreases. Increasing, we mentioned an ayah, and there are several ayat in the Qur'an that clearly highlight Iman increasing. Who can or who has found an example of Iman decreasing in the Qur'an and Sunnah? Did anybody manage to do it? <coughs> That's possible. There are narrations regarding how the companions mentioned when they used to be with the Prophet ﷺ, their iman was high. But when they were separate and they'd gone and left and alone with their families, etc., it was down or it was less. That could be an evidence. That could be something highlighting iman decreases. That is an evidence. Anything else? What actions? What hadith? That's not a proof then. <laughs> One of the companions of the Prophet said, the Prophet said, if Iman increases and diminishes, he was then asked, how does it increase and diminish? If we hold Allah in remembrance, praise <coughs> Him and glorify Him, 
how Iman increases, but if you hold Allah in little remembrance, how Iman... That's not a hadith though. It's what is it? What is that statement? Hadith of what? Where? What's the reference? Hamad ibn Salama, it's a statement of the Salaf. That is not a hadith, it's a statement of the Salaf. Hadith? Quran, go on then. Go on then. <laughs> Which is what? Uh, what does it say? Read it out. Whenever the verses. Whenever the verses come down, the surah. Some of them say, "Which of you has iman? Which of your iman is increased by it?" So that shows increase. What about decrease? Decrease is the issue we're looking for now. That's a proof for increase. Clear again. There is. There are some evidences that indicate. Oh. Sort of uh, testified that he is God's prophet, huh? and God has accepted him as his prophet. But then, obviously, they accepted their faith and sort of rejected it when the prophet said. The hypocrites, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, hypocrites. Though the problem with that is they are definitely inside not mu'min anyway. They don't have iman inside anyway. But for the believers, iman decreasing. There are a few examples of narrations that can be used. One of the obvious ones is مَنْ رَأَى مِنْكُمْ مُنْكَرًا فَلْيُغَيِّرْهُ بِيَدِهِ فَإِنْ لَمْ يَسْتَضِعْ فَبِلِسَانِهِ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَسْتَضِعْ فَبِقَلْبِهِ وَذَلِكَ أَضْعَفُ الْإِيمَانِ Whomsoever sees from you an evil, then change it with your hand. If you're not able, then change it with your tongue. If you're not able, then hate it in your heart at least. And that is the weakest of iman, it says in the hadith. Indicating that you have levels that are higher and levels where you go down to weakness. Going down in the order to weakness. That is the weakest of iman. Another example that can be used is when the Prophet said, ما من عقل ودين من When the Prophet said regarding the women, that I have not seen anyone more in deficiency of intellect and religion than the women. What does that narration mean? In intellect, it refers to what the revelation has told us about, for example, witnessing. That it requires two women as a witness as opposed to one man. That is revelation from Allah. As for deficiency in religion, what does the hadith mean about the Prophet saying that the women have a deficiency in religion? Again, it's something to do with revelation. Revelation. Regarding the periods, when the women are on the periods in the month, that time of the month, they are unable to pray, they are unable to fast, unable to pick up the Qur'an, unable to do all of those things. By revelation, they are unable to do that. But when they're not praying, they're not fasting, they cannot pick up the Qur'an to read, Obviously in those few days then it may impact upon their iman going down a bit. Not praying, not fasting, Quran, etc. Not doing any of that may well impact upon their iman going down a bit. And it does 
It can. And that's the meaning of the hadith that they are deficient in the religion that once a month they are not allowed to pray, not allowed to fast. And as a consequence, their iman may well go down from that. So that is a hadith the scholars used to say as well, a proof that iman goes down. When the women are not allowed to pray, not allowed to fast, then that will be a cause. It can be a cause of their iman to go down. So these are some examples. Generally though, the scholars have said, all those other ayat of the Qur'an, etc. that talk about iman going up, all of those can be used as an evidence that iman goes down too. Because if iman goes up, then obviously it can also come back down again. If iman goes up, then it must have gone up from being somewhere lower down to begin with. And then it went up. So then if it was lower down somewhere first and then went up, it means it can also come back down to that lower level where it was to start with. If you do sins and stop practicing properly, etc., that iman that's gone up may may well may well come back down to the lower level where it was to start with. So definitely, iman, it increases and it decreases. What is the best way to increase iman? A person thinks to himself that he needs to increase in iman, he feels some weakness (coughs) in his iman. What is the best way, the scholars have mentioned, the best action to do to start increasing iman. Remembrance of Allah, seeking knowledge. The scholars they mention overall, seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge, learning, reading the Quran, learning, reading the Sunnah, and then obviously practicing what you learn from that. That seeking of knowledge is the best way to start increasing your iman. So the more you attend gatherings of knowledge, if you start attending regularly, the more you attend, the more you hear about Allah and the Prophet Muhammad the more you do that, then obviously the more your iman will increase, compared to if you abandon that, you never bother coming to, for example, classes, listening to hadith, listening to Quran, you never do that. Out on the street all the time. Where's your iman going to be compared to somebody who regularly comes and sits and listens to hadith and listens to Qur'an, whose iman's going to be higher? The person who regularly listens to Qur'an and sunnah and learns about the religion, his iman is going to be stronger than somebody just walking around on the streets, never learning anything, never hearing about Allah, about the messenger, never hearing about the sunnah. That type of person, his iman's going to be weaker. So one of the best ways to strengthen iman as the scholars have mentioned, is to strengthen your seeking of knowledge. Because the more you hear about the Qur'an and understand it, the more you hear about the sunnah, the hadith, and you understand them, then the more your iman will increase. And of course, the more you hear of Qur'an and sunnah, the more you learn. And the more you learn, it means the more you can practice. And the more you practice and do more worship, that's going to help your iman to increase too. So, more knowledge will equals more practice of the religion. And the more practice of religion will equals higher iman. But this is the thing the scholars mention too. The more knowledge you gain, <coughs> and therefore the more practicing of the religion you become, the more things you learn to do, and you start doing them. 
So you practice more and you do more worship and that increases your Iman. The more your Iman increases, the more you want to seek even more knowledge and learn even more things. So then you do that. So the more you seek even more knowledge and learn even more things, you end up practicing even more and therefore your Iman goes up even more. But then when your Iman goes up even more, you want to learn even more. So they say it's a direct link. The more you learn, the more you practice, the more your iman goes up. The more your iman goes up, the more you want to learn even more. And then when you do that, the more practicing you become, the more your iman goes up again. And then the more that goes up again, the more you want to learn again. So it keeps building and building and building, back and forward, back and forward. More you learn, more iman. More iman, the more you want to learn. The more you learn, the more you practice. It helps and builds all the way up and up. So that is something clear. And that's why the Sahaba and the Salaf, they used to strive in their seeking of knowledge, always with the Prophet ﷺ, going to him as often as they could, spending as much time as they could, to learn more and more about the Qur'an, about the Sunnah, about Allah. Because the more they learnt, the greater and strengthened their Iman became. And when that occurred, the more they wanted to even learn and practice and study. And that is how the way the iman strengthens. But a person who doesn't know anything about his religion, he doesn't even barely know how to pray, doesn't even barely know how to make wudu, wandering the streets, no classes, no Quran, no sunnah. Then what do you expect about his iman? That type of person is going to be weak in his iman. So iman to increase the best way, is to have the connection to the religion. That you are regularly studying, reading the ayat of the Qur'an. Regularly coming across the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. The more you do that, the more you learn, the more you become educated about your religion and what you have to do. So the more you start doing those things, and when you start doing those things more and more, more practicing of the religion, that increases and strengthens your iman. So that is what somebody should focus on. People should focus on seeking knowledge, striving to seek knowledge, to learn more, because that is what will increase them in Iman. And the more you become increased in Iman, the stronger the believer you become, and the more protection you have from the shayateen and from the jinn, the more protection you have from the evil of those, the more remembrance you do, the more dua you do, it improves a person more and more. And that's why Allah said in the Qur'an, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ That the ones who truly fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who truly fear Him, are the people, <coughs> the people of knowledge. The people of knowledge, they are the ones who truly have awe and fear of Allah. Because they are the ones who truly recognize the who their Lord is and the might and the majesty and the power of their Lord. They are the ones who understand that. They are the ones who understand the reward of Allah. They are the ones who understand the punishment of Allah. They know all of that. And that is why their iman is stronger and their fear of Allah is stronger. And their recognition of who their Lord is stronger. Their worship is therefore stronger. Those people of knowledge, the more knowledge you have, the better you will be. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, 
من يريد الله به خيرا يفقهه في الدين Whomsoever Allah wants goodness for, then Allah gives that person knowledge of the religion. Allah gives that person knowledge of the religion, understanding of the religion. That is a sign of goodness for you. If you start to learn more and more and start to understand more and more, start to realize what the Qur'an and the Sunnah says more and more, then that is a sign of goodness for you from Allah. That you are being educated in your religion. And you're learning more about your religion. That is a sign of goodness for you and your life. And that is something that will benefit you now. It will benefit your family. You can teach them. You can educate them. You can teach your children. Educate them. Raise them upon the Quran and the Sunnah. And when you die, one of the things that you leave behind will be knowledge. All this knowledge that you gain, all this knowledge that you learn, you pass it on to your kids. Pass it on to your neighbors, to your community, to your friends. You teach them all of these things you learn about the Qur'an and the Sunnah. When you die, that knowledge you taught to other people, it will carry on getting you reward even after you die. It's mentioned in the hadith, إِذَا مَاتَ الْعَبْدٍ قَطَعَ عَنْهُ عَمَلُهُ إِلَّا مِنْ ثَلَاثٍ One of them, عِلْمٍ يُنْتَفَعُ بِهِ That knowledge you leave behind and people carry on benefiting from it, you'll carry on getting the reward for it even after you die. So you gain this knowledge and you teach. You teach and educate your families, your children, your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends. Teach them about Tawheed and warn them against Shirk. Teach them about the Sunnah and warn them against Bid'ah. All of these things that you learn and you pass on that information to others. Then even after you die, those people are still practicing that knowledge you gave them. They are still practicing that sunnah you taught them. They are still practicing the tawheed and abandon the shirk they learned from you. Then you'll carry on getting the reward for that even after you die. So, these are the great rewards of that knowledge. (coughs) So here, you have this topic regarding the iman. Uh, And Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi says, اِخْتَلَفَ النَّاسُ فِي مَا يَقَعُ عَلَيْهِ اسْمُ الْإِيمَانِ اختلافا كثيرا فذهب مالك وشافعي وأحمد ولوزاعي وإسحاق بن راهويا وسائر أهل الحديث أهل المدينة رحمهم الله أهل الظاهر وجماعة من المتكلمين إلى أنه تصديق بالجنان وإقرار باللسان وعمل بالأركان So he says that many of the scholars like الإمام شافعي الإمام أحمد الأوزاعي إسحاق بن راهويا the, uh, the Sheikh of uh, Imam al-Bukhari and many of the other scholars of hadith etc. They've all said Iman is the easiest way to remember belief in the heart, statements of the tongue and actions of the limbs. Belief in the heart, statements of the tongue and actions of the limbs. There are some people like we mentioned who made mistakes in their definition of Iman. Some of the people of innovation, they said Iman is just ma'rifah. Knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if it was just a case of knowing Allah, then even Iblis would be a mu'min. Even Iblis knows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even Fir'aun knew Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then even those would be believers if it was just a case of knowing it is not just a case of knowing in the heart, it is a case of bearing testification 
to the shahada, to tawheed, and then acting upon that. Others, they said, it is just a case of saying it upon the tongue. As long as you say the shahada upon the tongue, that's iman. But if that was the case, then even... Who? The munafiqoon. Even the munafiqoon, they would be considered as believers, because even they used to say, La ilaha illallah. But they never believed it in their hearts. They never had any real recognition in their hearts of that tawheed, of that shahada. So we know <coughs> that it is not just a case of belief in the heart alone. It is not just a case of statements upon the tongue alone. It is not even a case of just belief and statements. It is belief and statements and actions, worship, obedience is needed in iman. That's the meaning of the shahada. When you say, La ilaha illallah, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, there are three things you, you need to know. One is that you believe in it, you believe in that tawheed, you believe that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. You understand the meaning of all of that properly, you understand the meaning of tawheed and you believe in it. That's the first two things. What's the third thing? That you act upon it. Imagine somebody says, I know the meaning of La ilaha illallah, and he says it, but then he goes and prostrates the graves. Is he acting upon what he's testifying to? He goes and prostrates the graves, he goes and worships statues and idols. Then that person isn't practicing what he's testifying. So it's not just a case of claiming, I say La ilaha illallah, and I know the meaning of it. If you're practicing shirk though, then you miss the third component. Three components are needed, knowing the meaning of Tawheed and saying it, La ilaha illallah, you have to bear testification. Unless somebody couldn't speak, then they're excused, of course. And thirdly, you must act upon it. Only saying it and believing in it, but not acting upon it, then that is incorrect. If you go and act upon shirk instead, then what is the benefit of using La ilaha illallah? You're going against that testimony and you're committing shirk instead. And we know that this occurred in history. This occurred at the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib. The famous example at the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu at his time when he was the Khalifa. There was the early groups of the Shia. And they used to raise Ali ibn Abi Talib. To the extent that some of them, during when he was alive, they began to praise Ali ibn Abi Talib so much that they began to say he has some characteristics, some attributes of Allah in him. (coughs) That's how much they used to raise him, the Shia at that time. They began to say that he has some of the attributes of Allah in him. Obviously that is a statement of absolute shirk. You're associating partners alongside Allah, claiming Ali ibn Abi Talib has characteristics of Allah in him. So when they said that, Ali ibn Abi Talib and all of the other companions were in agreement, this group of people are kuffar. That's their belief. They believe Ali ibn Abi Talib is like a part of Allah, that he has characteristics and attributes of Allah in him. That's kufr, clear and plain. All of the companions were agreed, this group of the early Shia in those days, who were making these statements and praise of Ali to that level, are kuffar for saying that. 
All of the companions agreed. Even though that group of people, if you went to them and said, you testify, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, they would say, absolutely, they would say, yes. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. <coughs> they testify, they'll say. They believe in it, they'll say. But they were saying that Ali is, or has aspects of Allah in him. Clear kufr. Ali ibn Abi Talib, what did he do to them? Kill them. Burn them. Kill them. Because even though they were claiming to be Muslim, claiming la ilaha illallah, they were not acting upon what they were claiming. They were acting upon shirk, claiming that Ali is like Allah. Another example is Bani <coughs> Ubaid ibn Qaddah, I think they were called. This was another group of Muslims, Muslims, and they used to do the Adhan. Adhan was happening, and they lived in the area of Egypt many centuries ago. They used to do the Adhan, they used to pray, Jama'ah, mosque, everything. You ask them, do you say, La ilaha illallah? Of course. But yet, they started rejecting some parts of the Qur'an. They started to reject some parts of the Qur'an, reject some other aspects of the Sunnah. When they began to reject some parts of the Qur'an, etc., that's kufr. Rejecting any, even a word of the Qur'an, rejecting it, impermissible completely. So those people, if you ask them and you saw them, they were doing adhan, they were doing jum'ah, they were praying five times a day, everything. Shahadu an la ilaha illallah. But then they were rejecting Qur'an. So all of the scholars of that time were agreed. Even though they are stood there doing adhan and praying and jum'ah and everything and saying la ilaha illallah, they are kuffar, rejecting the Qur'an, rejecting the sunnah. So it's not just a case of saying I'm Muslim, I believe and I say la ilaha illallah. You have to act upon that. You can't just say la ilaha illallah and then go commit shirk every day and say you're Muslim. Mushrik then, prostrating to the graves and slaughtering for the graves and doing other things like that, bowing to statues and idols. Mushrik then. Then you saying la ilaha illallah, it doesn't mean anything. So here it's important to understand with iman, it is belief in the heart, statement upon the tongue, but also you must have the actions in line with your belief and your statement upon the tongue. Your actions must be done. You can't just <coughs> say that I believe in la ilaha illallah. I say la ilaha illallah, but I'm never going to bother praying. No prayer for me. <coughs> Forget about the five prayers every day. Forget about that. Forget about zakat. Forget about hajj. Forget about all those things. But I'm a believer. I believe in la ilaha illallah. I say ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. But forget about all those actions and all that worship. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do hajj. I'm not going to do zakat. I'm not going to fast. Then this type of person, has he understood the reality of being a Muslim? Is that what being a Muslim is about? You believe and you say the shahada and that's it. You're not going to pray. You're not going to do zakat. You're not going to fast. You're not going to do hajj. Is that what being Muslim is? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's why it's very important to understand with this topic of Iman. You have belief in the heart. You have statements upon the tongue. But you also must have your actions and obedience that you're doing upon that. Actions and obedience. 
upon that iman. The final point that we were making from the points before was that iman, everybody has different levels of iman. First point was that actions are from iman. Second point was that iman goes up and down. And the third point then was that everybody has different levels of iman. There is a, 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 an evidence for that as well. There are evidences. One of the evidences for that is a hadith <coughs> where the Prophet ﷺ had a dream. And in this dream, the Prophet ﷺ saw people, the believers, wearing clothes of different lengths. Some of them were wearing a, a, some clothes that only went up to their chest, that's it. Others up to their waist. Others up to their knees. Others down to their shins, down to their ankles. Everybody was wearing these shirts, these, these thobes or garments of different lengths. Some of them barely up to their chest, up to their stomach, up to their knees, up to their ankles. And then he saw Umar ibn al-Khattab. He saw Umar ibn al-Khattab in that narration. And Umar ibn al-Khattab, his garment was so long that it was beyond his body length as he was walking. The rest of the garment was trailing behind him. So then the companions, they said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, مَا أَوَّلْتَ ذَلِكَ What's your interpretation of that dream? What does it mean that you saw the believers wearing different lengths of clothes? And then you saw Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu wearing a garment so long it was beyond him. He was walking and dragging behind him. What does it mean? What's the interpretation of that dream? So the Prophet ﷺ told them the interpretation is a deen, the religion, meaning in this case, iman, the different levels of a person's religion, i.e. the different levels of a person's iman. So the people who had the very short garments, they were a representation of people with only a little bit of iman. The ones with longer garments, the longer the garment got, that was a representation of a greater amount of iman. So Umar ibn al-Khattab, he had a garment so long that he was dragging it behind himself, beyond his body length, indicated the huge amount of iman that Umar ibn al-Khattab was upon. And we know that there are narrations about Umar ibn al-Khattab when he was walking down the street that the shayateen, the shayateen of the jinn, when they saw him, they would, they'd go away somewhere else, the other way. They'd avoid bumping into Umar ibn al-Khattab. When they saw him coming, the shayateen of the jinn would go across and move away some other way. Such was the level of strength of Umar ibn al-Khattab and his iman. Also, we know about Abu Bakr. There's a narration that mentions if the iman of Abu Bakr, a Siddiq, radiallahu was in the weighing scale on one side, and the iman of the ummah was upon the other side, the iman of Abu Bakr would be greater. Such was the level of iman of Abu Bakr, a Siddiq, radiallahu anhu. 
So we know that people have different levels of Iman. Now that's clear to see. You see some people upon piety and practicing, and you see some people upon weakness and not bothering. No doubt there is a difference. That is a difference in the levels of Iman. <coughs> Then there is this issue of the murji'ah that we spoke about before. There are some narrations that say, for example, Inna Allaha harrama ala nari man qala la ilaha illallah. Yabtaghi bi dhalika wajhallah. And in another narration, La yadkhulun nar, la yadkhulun nar man qala la ilaha illallah. A person who says La ilaha illallah will not enter the hellfire. In another narration, Allah has made it haram for the hellfire to take anybody in who says La ilaha illallah. Don't these narrations seem to indicate that belief in the heart and saying La ilaha illallah, that's it? They don't say whoever believes and says La ilaha illallah and practices it they will not be going to the hellfire and the hellfire will be haram for it to take them. It just says the people who say La ilaha illallah, it will be haram for the hellfire to take them. So the murji'ah, they began to say, actions have got nothing to do with anything. As long as you believe in La ilaha illallah and you say La ilaha illallah, the narrations are saying the hellfire can't take you. Even if you've done no actions and no obedience and no nothing, because the narrations don't talk about any actions or obedience. They just say, whoever says La ilaha illallah, you're safe. Hellfire will not take you. So how do we explain this then? These are authentic narrations. Bukhari, Muslim, etc. Allah has made it haram for the hellfire to take anyone who says La ilaha illallah. And that's it. It doesn't say whoever says La ilaha illallah and does his obedience and actions. Whoever says La ilaha illallah, that's all it says. <coughs> Oppose it? What about this hadith though? The hadith. So the Quran opposes these hadith? What do you mean? So what about this hadith then? The hadith are saying whoever says La ilaha illallah. Haram for the hellfire to take them. That's one man who take other verses in the Quran to understand it better. Like for people who pray salah, the righteous actions, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Does it mean that eventually they will come out of hellfire? The conditions have got to be met for that karma. Like Remember, it's, oh. it's one of the, uh, the kind of like uh, it's also the secret kalb as well, and um, as well. So you can't just say you've got you actually got akl on it as well. Like so the man says, it's, uh, uh. it's got shalom. <coughs> so remember. When the people of innovation bring evidences, sometimes they may bring you hadith from Bukhari, Muslim, ayat of the Qur'an, authentic evidences, to try and prove something. So here, some of the people of innovation may bring you these authentic evidences. They are authentic, proper hadith. And they'll say, look, these hadith prove that it's only about belief in the heart and saying it upon the tongue. Whoever says La ilaha illallah, that's it. Nothing to do with actions or, or obedience. And they give you these as examples. The people of innovation do that type of thing. Where they will pick out certain narrations, certain ayat from the Quran and the Sunnah, pluck them out and use them as evidence against you. 
Ahlu Sunnah, we know our methodology isn't based upon plucking out the odd ayah here or the odd hadith there. Our religion is based upon the whole of the revelation, the Quran and the Sunnah as a whole. We don't section off one hadith or a few hadith and make our rulings upon that and ignore the rest of the revelation. The way of Ahlu Sunnah is to take all of the revelation together because all of the revelation has been given to us to follow. The way of the people of innovation is to select and box and section off few ayat, few hadith, separate from the rest of the things, rest of the revelation, and then use them as evidences. We know that's wrong, because those few that they've sectioned off, if you put them back in the context of all of the rest of the Qur'an and the rest of the sunnah in context, then everything makes sense. When you take these narrations by themselves, then they can be confusing. When you take these two, for example, by themselves, Allah has made it haram for the hellfire to take anyone who says, La ilaha illallah, sincerely. And whoever says, La ilaha illallah, will not enter hellfire. You take those by themselves, now it's a bit confusing when you just see them by themselves. Because that seems to indicate actions have got nothing to do with it, obedience got nothing to do with it. As long as you say, La ilaha illallah, you're safe. But when you put these narrations back into the context of all of the other narrations, and all of the other ahadith, then it becomes clear that actually, it's not just about saying, La ilaha illallah, you need to do actions and worship. And we've already spoken about the evidences that actions are a part of iman, that your prayer is a part of your iman, removing some harm from the roadway is a part of your iman. So when you start looking at all of those narrations and putting everything into context, you realize that these narrations don't just mean saying it and that's it. it they mean belief and saying it, and obviously as a default with saying it, it goes alongside it, that you do actions. How is that proven? Because it doesn't say it in these narrations. It's proven by all of the other narrations. So remember, never isolate evidences and start making rulings like that. That is the way of Ahlul Bid'ah. Ahlul Sunnah, you put everything together in context. Anytime the people of innovation pluck out an odd ayah, an odd hadith, isolated to try and prove things, tell them we're going to put that back into context with 10 other ayat that are talking about the same subject. 10 other hadith that are talking about this same subject. Then when we see it all in context, we'll be able to make a proper conclusion. That is the way of Ahlul Sunnah. Ahlul Bid'ah, they don't want to do that because if you do that, you always end up at the conclusion of Ahlul Sunnah. To end up at their wrong conclusions, they need to pluck and isolate evidences away from the context so they can put their own interpretations on. So that is what you do. Put it back into context to get the correct answers. <coughs> we'll round off on that point for today then. Any questions or anything up to there? It's incorrect to leave it just like that. That is the Murji'atul Fuqaha. They had the statement regarding it being just statements of the tongue and actions of the limbs. Just to leave it upon that, like that, isn't correct. If you say uh, statements of, or if you say belief of the heart and actions of the tongue, 
or, or if you say actions of the heart and actions of the tongue, sometimes you can do just a two, two-way classification. It works, the Salaf, they used to say it. But that includes action then. Action of the uh, heart, action of the tongue, includes actions of the limbs then. So sometimes they did used to mention it as just two points. But those two points, they only mentioned it like that when it included action. Anything which excludes actions isn't the definition of Ahl sunnah Even the definition of the Murji'atul Fuqaha, it's not the definition of Ahl sunnah Belief in the heart, statements of the tongue, actions of the limbs. Simple like that. Anything else? In that case, we'll conclude. Uh, for the rest of winter, for the next few months now, we're going to try and start approximately 7.15 p.m. 7.15 p.m., so you don't need to get here earlier than that. 7.15 will be the earliest we start. So get here around about 7.10. 7.10, inshallah, 7.15, and that's what we're going to start for the next few weeks anyway, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll round off on that for today.